This podcast is brought to you by the Gosh Learning Academy. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Master the MRCPCH, our podcast from the Gosh Learning Academy where we recap a topic from the MRCPCH curriculum. Very handy if you're doing your exams or just fancy a refresher on an interesting topic. My name is Rian Thomas and I'm the Digital Learning Education Fellow at Great Ormond Street Hospital and a Registrar in Clinical Genetics. This week, I'm really lucky to be joined again by the brilliant Dr. Hongwei Gan, a consultant in paediatric endocrinology and education lead for digital learning at GOSH. The topic of this week's podcast is hypoglycemia. This episode is a really brilliant overview of hypoglycemia and corresponds to lots of points on the MRCPCH curriculum under the sections endocrine and growth, neonatology and diabetes. So I hope you enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to the podcast, Hongwei. Thank you for inviting me. So in today's podcast, we're going to be talking about hypoglycemia. What would you like people listening to get out of this podcast? So I think the first thing is to define what hypoglycemia is, because I think a lot of trainees get very confused about the cutoffs that we use. And then as I've, you know, as I always feel, I think it's really important to understand normal physiology around hypoglycemia and glucose regulation, because that gives you a framework for investigating hypoglycemia and also trying to find out what the cause is. That sounds perfect. So as one of those trainees who does often get confused about numbers and cutoffs, it would be great if you could go through the definition of hypoglycemia. So what is hypoglycemia? Yeah, absolutely. And actually, that's not the trainee's fault. I think it's the system's fault because people do use different cutoffs. So, you know, in neonates, we usually say less than 2.6 millimoles per liter is hypoglycemia, especially in the first 24 hours of life when, you know, their physiology is starting to correct itself from having a continuous glucose infusion effectively through the placenta to having intermittent glucose supplies through bogus feeds. In diabetes, we use a cutoff of four millimoles per liter. And the idea behind that is because particularly in type one diabetes, I should have said, you've got insulin on board and what you don't want to happen is you don't want them to be, become hypoglycemic whilst on insulin and using a lower cutoff. You want them to correct at a higher level. Similarly in hyperinsulinism, which is a rare diagnosis, we use actually a cutoff of 3.5 for, uh, you know, this is a dogma that's, I guess, never, it's never been proven through good evidence, but it's something that people have been using for a long time. And then outside of all those and other conditions, we would say less than three in general. So if you've got a patient with a glucose level of less than three millimoles per liter, then that's hypoglycemia. Brilliant. So shall we move on to think about etiology? Do you have an approach for thinking about the cause of hypoglycemia? Yeah. So as I said before, I think it's important to think about the body's normal response to hypoglycemia. So if you are hypoglycemic, then the body's response is to try and correct that blood glucose. And the way it does it is through the effect of mainly three, well, four hormones, if you like. So the first one is cortisol. So cortisol promotes gluconeogenesis to correct your blood glucose. Growth hormone does a similar thing. 
And then it's the sympathomimetic hormones, adrenaline and noradrenaline, which give you that fight and flight response. But they also promote early, re early release of glucose from glycogen into the bloodstream. Now, from a metabolic point of view, uh, the result of those hormones is, like I say, the first thing is gluconeogenesis, which is largely from fatty acid oxidation. So if you remember from your basic physiology, we have fat all over our body, which are stores of energy. And the way that energy is released is through lipolysis and then those free fatty acids that are generated from the breakdown of lipids are then oxidized into ketone bodies, which are then converted into glucose. So if you just hang on to that process for a minute, and then the second thing is the breakdown of glycogen, so glycogenolysis, which already stores in the liver. So that's usually the first source of glucose because that's a much faster process than gluconeogenesis. So that's just broken down and it releases glucose straight into the bloodstream. And then, like I say, the gluconeogenesis comes slightly later. So that's the normal, really basic physiology around correction of hypoglycemia in the body. And if you use that as a framework, you've then got a really easy way of thinking about the etiology around hypoglycemia. So the first thing is the endocrine causes. So if you have got cortisol deficiency, that can cause hypoglycemia. If you've got growth hormone deficiency, particularly in infancy, that can cause hypoglycemia. The kind of noradrenaline, adrenaline side of things are not, you know, you don't normally get adrenaline insufficiency, but you can get that if, for example, you've had your adrenal glands taken out and therefore you can get hypoglycemia as a result of that. The other thing you can get is the opposite response to hypoglycemia. So one of the things is your insulin gets suppressed. So if you've got hyperinsulinism or in, an insulinoma, or again, if you've got insulin on board from treatment for diabetes, those would be the causes of hypoglycemia. Now, from a metabolic point of view, you've then got problems with fatty acid oxidation. So fatty acid oxidation defects, so like very long chain fatty acid oxidation defects, you know, all these much rarer metabolic conditions. That's kind of the first group of patients who can have hypoglycemia. And then you can have, the thing I've not talked about is you can get gluconeogenesis from protein. So if you've got amino acid abnormalities, that can also cause hypoglycemia. And then if you have problems with the generation of ketones, that can again cause hypoglycemia. So the way I think about metabolic causes is you classify them into ketotic versus non-ketotic. And the reason why that's important is that non-ketotic hypoglycemia has a much smaller group of causes. So in order to have non-ketotic hypoglycemia, you're either producing too much insulin because insulin suppresses your ketone body generation, or you've got problems in the fatty acid oxidation pathway. Because if you remember, fatty acid oxidation is needed to produce ketones. So if you have a patient who has non-ketotic hypoglycemia, the next step is to determine what the insulin response is. And if the insulin is undetectable, then you know that it's not a high insulin situation. So it's not hyperinsulinism, it's not an insulinoma. And therefore you need to think about the metabolic causes and you need to think about fatty acid oxidation defects.
if you've got totic hypoglycemia, that's a much wider range of causes. So it's everything else I've talked about. So cortisol deficiency, growth on deficiency, it's all those other things that you need to think about for ketotic hypoglycemia. The other thing about ketotic hypoglycemia is if you've excluded all of its causes, it's fairly common for young children to have idiopathic ketotic hypoglycemia. All that is that their livers don't have enough ketone body stores. So they release their ketones, but they don't have enough of it and therefore they become hypoglycemic. So that is probably the common, commonest thing out there if you look at the diagnoses in young children. But it does require you to exclude all the other causes I've already talked about. Some people also think about problems between glucose production and glucose consumption, which is not a bad way to think about it. So again, all the causes I've talked about are to do with glucose production, if you like. But the other thing to think about is glucose consumption. For example, in sepsis, you might use up your glucose stores more quickly. If you've got polycythemia and hemolytic conditions, you might use up your glucose stores more quickly. So, so those are kind of the consumptive hypoglycemia processes. And that's a much wider range of diagnoses around that. Brilliant. Thank you, Hongwei. That's a really comprehensive and clear overview of the etiology and classification. Shall we move on to think about from a clinical perspective? So how would we know if a patient is hypoglycemic? What are the clinical features that, that children manifest? Yeah. So it's not just about how to recognize the, why, you know, recognize hypoglycemia symptomatically, but it's also while you're doing, while you're doing that, you need to think about the causes. So in terms of symptoms of hypoglycemia, you divide them into neuroglycopenic symptoms, which is things like jitteriness in babies, a tremor. Um, you might, if you've got severe hypoglycemia, you might be lethargic or even comatose. And then the adrenergic symptoms are things like tachycardia, feeling very flushed, feeling very hot, feeling very sweaty. So there's two kind of groups of symptoms. Now, in terms of thinking about etiology, the key thing is really history. So in neonates, for example, you want to know the antenatal history. Did mum have diabetes during pregnancy? Was she using any drugs, particularly things like beta blockers, like the betalol for preeclampsia? Those things can cause hypoglycemia. And then postnatally, you want to know if they're septic, if there's a history of birth asphyxia, if they've got polycythemia. Those might be causes of hypoglycemia in the infant. In older children, one of the things I always ask about is steroid use. So steroids are used in nearly every system, nearly every specialty really in, in pediatrics for some reason. So for example, you might use it for inflammatory bowel disease. You might use it for rheumatological conditions. And the problem with long-term steroid use like prednisolone, dexamethasone is that it suppresses your own body's way of generating endogenous cortisol. And when you do that, if you're unwell, you might not be able to generate an appropriate cortisol response to help cope with those situations where you need to increase your gluconeogenesis and increase your glucose production. So those are his, you know, history things you need to look out for. And then in terms of clinical signs, apart from the neuroglycopenic and adrenergic symptoms, in terms of looking for causes, you might want to look for dysmorphic features. For causes of cortisol and growth hormone deficiency, you might want to look at midline defects. So if they've got a cleft palate, one of the things we talk about is a single central incisor because that's a midline defect. And that might be an indication of problems in development of the pituitary gland. If you've got ambiguous genitalia, you need to think about congenital adrenal hyperplasia. 
And then we also know that babies who are born large for gestational age or small for gestational age, or if, if they've got intrauterine growth restriction, those are also risk factors for hyperinsulinism and therefore hypoglycemia. Brilliant. And if a patient is showing clinical signs, how might we investigate them? So it, it's thinking about the ketotic versus non-ketotic causes of hypoglycemia. And we should do a hypoglycemia screen, which is fairly standard, and you're trying to differentiate those causes. It is important that you get an accurate measurement of glucose prior to even doing the hypoglycemia screen. And we would always say that you should not just measure glucose via a blood glucose bedside meter, but also send off a concurrent lab glucose to be measured in the laboratory. Now, it's important that these glucose samples are not taken from a central line or a PIC line, particularly if it's running a glucose-based infusion, because you can then get quite incorrect measurements of blood glucose. The first thing to determine whether it's ketotic versus non-ketotic. So you want to do ideally blood ketones. And, you know, most wards have got a blood ketone meter because they've got patients who've got diabetes. And it usually surprises me nowadays when you can't find a blood ketone meter. But if you really can't get your hands on one, you can do urine ketones. You want to do an insulin and along with that a C-peptide because that will help you differentiate causes of non-ketotic hypoglycemia. And then along with that, you want to do a free fatty acid concentrations and ketone body, because if your ketone bodies are positive in the blood, so more specifically compared to just doing a bedside blood ketones, then you've got the whole group of ketotic hypoglycemia causes to think about. So you want to do cortisol, growth hormone, you want to do amino acids, ammonia, you want to do acyl carnitine, and then you might want to do urine organic acids as well. And that's kind of your initial baseline screen, basic investigations that you want to do for causes of hypoglycemia. Great. So before we finish, clearly management will be dependent on the underlying pathology, but shall we have a think briefly about management of hypoglycemia generally? Are there any guidelines that are useful for people to have a look at? Yeah. So you can look at the APLS guidelines as a first line, because that's got a section on how to manage hypoglycemia. You can look at the diabetes guidelines on the Association of Children's Diabetes Consultants. So the ACDC website, it's got a PDF which talks about how to correct hypoglycemia. And the BNF for children has also got a section about how to treat hypoglycemia. They all pretty much say the same thing. So if you've got a child who's hypoglycemic and is able to take oral glucose, then you give them oral glucose, which can be in the form of glucose gel or glucose juice, which is now called NIFT, L-Y-F-T, or you can get glucose tablets as well. And the kind of doses around that depend on age. And then if a child is really too lethargic or too comatose to take oral correction, then the correction is intravenous. There are two points to this. So if you don't know the cause of hypoglycemia, you must always take all your investigations, so the blood tests and the urine tests before correcting the hypoglycemia, because once you do correct the hypoglycemia, those tests are really impossible to interpret. The other thing is you should never use 50% dextrum. And the, re the reason behind that is, is not just the fact that 50% dextrose is really quite toxic to the veins, you can get tissueing, but also if you correct hypoglycemia too quickly, you can get fluid shifts around the brain and you can cause cerebral edema. Great. 
tips there. So before we let you go, we're just going to ask you our standard quick fire question. So to start off, Hongwei, are there any classic exam questions that pop up about this subject? Yeah, so some of the exam questions that pop up in particularly part one, again, usually are around interpreting basic biochemistry. In terms of, for example, they, they might initially ask you how to do a hypoglycemia screen and then how to interpret the results. There can be questions about how to manage hypoglycemia in patients with type 1 diabetes. And then sometimes if they've kind of given you a case and you've worked your way down the path, and for example, if you suspect cortisol deficiency, then they might ask you to interpret a selectin test. So really basic endocrine tests. Brilliant. And are there any useful resources that you recommend having a look at? Yeah, I think I've already mentioned some of this. So looking at the APLS guidelines, the ACDC guidelines, the PNF for children, you can also get some, so one of the books I usually look at is the Oxford Handbook of Pediatric Endocrinology. It's got a section on hypoglycemia and how to interpret it and kind of looking at the causes. So it's quite useful to do that. A lot of the membership textbooks also have got sections on hypoglycemia and how to interpret results in a framework of thinking about causes. And to finish off, what are your three takeaway learning points? So the first thing is to, in terms of your framework of thinking of causes of hypoglycemia, is to define whether the hypoglycemia is ketotic versus non-ketotic, because non-ketotic causes are much smaller in terms of the possibilities. You should always take your investigations before treating hypoglycemia, because once you treat it, you can't interpret the test. And even if you can't remember all the tests, just take the samples first and then send off for the test afterwards. And in terms of blood samples, you should always have a basic biochemistry sample and either lipsium, heparin or EDK sample for things like ammonia and amino acids, depending on your trust, and then always take a urine sample before treating it. And the last really important point is never use 50% dextrose to correct hypoglycemia. Thank you so much for that brilliant run through of hypoglycemia. And we're really grateful for you coming on the podcast. No worries. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Master the MRCPCH. If you want to get in touch, you can do so via social media. You can find Gosh Learning Academy on Twitter, Instagram and LinkedIn. If you want to hear more about the work of the Gosh Learning Academy, you can visit our website at www.gosh.nhs.uk and search Learning Academy. We also have lots of exciting new podcasts coming soon. To find out more, search Gosh Pods wherever you get your podcasts. We hope you enjoyed this episode and we'll see you again next time. Thank you. Bye.